Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Okay, we finally did it. We finally got a public school teacher. Like, legitimate. A teacher. Because before we've had an administrator. Which I think he may have obviously started out as a... apologize. No, no, no. It's not technically... Yeah. But like a current. Yes. Which is a different... Yeah. I enjoyed his perspective because he was able, like, top down, like, in that flow. He's seen it in, Mm -hmm. like, all facets. Mm -hmm. And, like, his current viewpoint was very much similar to how we view education in general and so i appreciated that and they always take the good ones this happened as well to jamie Mm -hmm. she's in philadelphia and it was a fascinating conversation so we've been talking a lot about brain development and having all these experts that know you know how the brain is plastic and how we can rewire it and we've talked about their personal experiences but what jamie is trying to do is the application again right. which we that is what a man and i try to do right we try and to get all this information everybody, and apply right it. because mm-hmm. we can talk in theory about all the things that we should be doing but it's the how that mm-hmm. i think is often lost right and even when we talk about like teacher training and parent training mm-hmm. a lot of it is very abstract and theoretical and like oh do this do that but it doesn't really show how so her role as a social emotional learning specialist mm-hmm. i think really dives a little bit deeper into that how and really showing not just showing students how to be more mindful and how to engage their social emotional learning but demonstrate it through their own practice as teachers and professionals as well and so with the social emotional learning she talks about how when she was in college that's when she was first exposed to it and so we start with mindfulness and her experience with meditation and how really the social emotional learning is an on-ramp for how children are to learn everything Mm -hmm. not just social emotional regulation or anything like that it goes beyond that you know we were talking about like well what is it is it like math reading and you know social emotional awareness and she's like no it's like it permeates throughout and it's teachers are already doing it they just may not be aware and you want to put the intention behind the redirection or the hey why don't you take a breath and go sharpen your pencil and put the awareness on the student as well because Mm -hmm. they need to be aware that not only you know this is what they're doing but the why you know just like with anything with kids we want to make sure that they understand the why because they're more likely to do it and buy into it if they understand the why so it was a really great conversation talking about social emotional learning and you know how you can really develop programs in your school districts and she even got us talking about how we can all of us try to figure out where we stand in our social emotional learning and she actually sent us a test for our emotional intelligence 
would do, yeah, and essentially social emotional awareness and intelligence. She said that they don't want to use. It's like the that clinical term, term yeah, on standardized um, tests, right? But it's not necessarily how they're approaching it in the schools. It's talking to children about their social emotional awareness, and so I told her that I would take a quiz, and so she sent us one of them, and so Amanda and I did it right before, and we both got, I guess, the, the same score. highly sensitive, <laughs> like the you know, that we are emotionally aware, right? We have that social emotional awareness. So maybe we'll put this in the show notes. It's mind tools. Are interested in taking it. Mindtools.com. But it's just talking about that self-awareness and how do you become more self-aware? You know, meditation is one of those forms. It was a really great conversation, especially because she is the application of all of this that we try to fight you know, for some of our kiddos and it benefits all kids, but it's like, we're only getting it for this kid and his IEP. It just always boggles our mind when that happens. But hopefully you guys enjoy just the way that she is approaching this and how you can approach your school district to implement in your area. Enjoy. Jamie, thank you so much for coming onto our podcast. This is the first public school person that we're speaking to. Oh, well, not Second really. Second. We had an administrator. This, yeah, from this a teacher's is like, perspective. Yeah, this, this is, is a teacher's perspective. This is huge because yeah. we have, you know, so many listeners that kind of hear, you know, multiple sides of things. And so I think kind of completing this conversation that we've been having for the last couple of years to be able to get the perspective of what's happening in a school district from that perspective is huge. So we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. So, Jamie, one of the reasons that we were ecstatic when we set this up was that we were going to be talking about your time, obviously, working that social-emotional learning, mindfulness. It's something that Amanda and I have talked about a lot that we've seen help some of our kiddos when we transition them out of the public school setting. Do you want to kind of give everybody a background of your credentials, if you will, and um, you're in Philadelphia, correct? Yes, absolutely. I'd love to give a little bit of background information on all of that. So yes, I'm in Philadelphia, and I went to the University of Pennsylvania for my graduate degree, which is when I was kind of introduced to this whole idea of mindfulness and uh, social-emotional learning and what some other districts around the country refer to as pro-social development. So creating my own teaching pedagogy and moving into the career as a full-time professional Everything that I did was rooted in this idea of social emotional development. So through the day, I taught third grade when I first started teaching. My goal was to loop with a class and kind of see how this idea of if we're focused on whole child development, will we be more successful academically? And with that, I also led the action research group at the University of Pennsylvania, where I engaged in this kind of like informal research on this topic. And I used mindfulness practices daily, uh, as well as a lot of foundational social and emotional learning principles through my teaching experience. So you kind of had this experience with this realm even before you started teaching. That's a different perspective than I think some people find as more of like a later in their career. So that's a very unique kind of experience, I would think. 
Yeah, we were introduced to mindfulness at the University of Pennsylvania through our teacher education program. It's a full-time program, um, a master's degree, so that you go end up getting certified in education and teaching and learning. And that was one of our seminars, actually, was mindfulness and using mindfulness practices, which I know Penn and a couple other schools in the area are really trying to be the pioneers of leading this in urban settings. Well, I love that because it's not only helping you kind of learn how to teach the kids, but like in your own life too, right? Because it's so much easier to show a child, you know, kind of how they can be more mindful and how to have better social emotional skills if they see their teacher and the the adults around them doing the same. It's not just a do what I say, but not what I do. It's truly a you're able to demonstrate it too. Absolutely. I practice mindfulness meditation every morning for at least three minutes. I've been doing that since I was introduced to the topic. And like a lot of people, I was introduced to mindfulness and meditation and thought, oh, well, this is definitely not for me Mm -hmm. uh, until I tried it. And I realized how much my quality of life actually improved. And there is so much to be said about just taking a second to breathe. And obviously mindfulness is an umbrella of a bunch of different activities that can go into that. But I, in my current role now as a social emotional learning specialist, I absolutely promote do what you say and do what you're doing with your students because it makes a world of difference. Wow. So I'm sure we get this all the time when we talk about different strategies. The question that's always asked is, well, we have so much in the curriculum that has to be covered in the classroom to teach the test and deal with all the standardized testing and common core and everything. So the most common question that I can hear listeners probably saying is, well, how do you fit this in? Is there, what's the like kind of Is there like a starting point or a a minimum of something that doesn't even take that much time that could be done in a classroom like every day that is beneficial but doesn't take up too much time? Absolutely. And this is a question we get all the time in Philadelphia as well. Being in such a large school district, it was always, well, we have a million things to do. And it is true. We absolutely have a million things to do as teachers. And having served as a teacher, I can speak to that. I give everybody props that's been in this profession for 30 plus years. I did five and moved into my new role. But there is a wonderful quote by a professor at Harvard who says that social emotional learning is the on-ramp to academic achievement. Mm -hmm. It's not a hindrance to academic achievement. It's not an additional thing. There is a woman by the name of Molly Gosline who works in Lincolnshire, Illinois at Stevenson High School. And she is a social emotional learning guru. She says, you know, we don't do social emotional learning. And then that same Mm -hmm. token, we don't do mindfulness. Mindfulness is a component of social emotional learning, right? We are socially and emotionally Mm -hmm. capable. We are mindful. So tying that in through the day, there are various moments. People across the country in all areas of education from paraprofessionals to lunchroom staff to classroom teachers are doing so much of this work already. Mm -hmm. It's about being intentional with what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So when you tell a child, take a deep breath, get a drink of water after Mm -hmm. they, let's say, get in a fight in the cafeteria, that's a mindful activity, taking a deep breath, getting a drink of water. So when we're more intentional about that, say we use morning meeting right before lunch, right after lunch, right at the end of the day, take a couple seconds to do deep breathing, take a couple seconds to stretch, whatever it is, however you incorporate it, that's best for you. There is so much opportunity throughout the day. And I say you start the first day. We know that the first six weeks of school are extremely crucial to the development of our culture and our climate and our classrooms. Start on day one. Most likely, all of the listeners right now are doing that. They've Mm -hmm. done something. 
They have some mindful activity that they're doing. Mindfulness is about being aware of your thoughts and being aware of your surroundings. So it can be interpreted in many, many ways. But I always use the idea, especially having worked in the school district that has high trauma, high vicarious trauma for teachers, high vicarious trauma for administrators and staff, just use deep breathing. Do like a couple of deep breaths mm-hmm. to start off the day, to brush off whatever happened before, and then keep going. On that note, when you introduce this day one to the students, is this something that you're actively describing to them, you know, what it is that you're teaching them and why? Or is it kind of, uh, you know, wanting it to just be automatic for them? Is it more of a, no, I'm going to let you in on this is what we're doing? Yes, absolutely. I've taught it as a skill. So the same way you teach, you know, main idea in a literacy block, model it, first do your mini lesson about it, then model it and then do it together. And that is my theory for everything that I did as an educator. I firmly believe in transparency because we're not able to develop skills if we're not sure why they're happening. And if we're just trying to figure it out as we go, like, oh, you know what? We do deep breathing every morning. So I'm going to try and do that on my own. That might take months or even years before you can achieve that. If you just started off by saying, this is why we're doing this. I use it myself. This is intentional. And this is how we're going to do it every day. And it's going to be built in as part of a routine and a procedure and a tool for you to use. Then you've actually taught it. You know, I remember in the fifth grade, my fifth grade teacher was the first time I had a male teacher. And I just thought he was so cool. And he would start by having us all like shake each other's hands. Right. And it was like, we're practicing like handshakes, you know, and like. It seems so outdated, but, like, to this day, like, sometimes when I shake the hand of a guy, he's like, oh, you have a good handshake. And I was like, yes, I practice it every day in the fifth grade. You know, it's just, like, ingrained, right? And I think as children, as anyone, really, children are already so curious. And when you explain the why, and we're not trying to get take advanced yoga here and meditation and all that. It's more so, like you said, the intentional aspect. I think that resonates with kids and just the simple breathing. We have a watches, right, that tell us to breathe. Um, yeah, and that's why. Yeah, I was someone who was, I overheard a conversation. He was like, oh, I shut that off. It was telling me to breathe all the time. And I was thinking, bro, it's because you need to breathe. Like, you're not <laughs> breathing. Like, And I get it. People are like, well, I am breathing. And it's like something's happening in that moment that you just need to just, for a minute, that's all your watch tells you to, yeah. to do. Well, it's such a difference when you take oh, yeah. a deep breath. Oh, yeah. And you realize when you take a deep breath that you really haven't been breathing, not to the right. extent that you really need it. And it's that intentional piece. If you don't know, like you're saying with this guy that you talk to, yeah, you don't know why your watch is telling you to breathe because you've never been introduced to the fact that you need to be more mindful or that mindfulness is a way to strengthen your brain. And it's one of the only ways research and science has shown to strengthen the gray matter and actually reproduce new gray matter in your brain. I mean, so that's really important. We know learning a language can prolong the effects of dementia or whatever, you know, neurocognitive diseases that we might develop at some point. Mindfulness is one of those as well. And I don't know if I'm saying those words the right way in terms of science, but I know that there is something to be said about taking a deep breath, about being aware of your thoughts and Adults need it as much as students need it. So it is really important that we do impart this on the next generation of youth that are coming through our system. Do you find, I know that you had said that you had started out with third grade, but you had mentioned, you know, a lot of these kiddos, there's a lot of trauma. You know, if it's not something that they've experienced themselves, it's community violence. 
Do you find that there's a particular age that, or any of the research or when you were learning about it, that was prime? I mean, obviously, we're all about early intervention, the earlier, the better. But is third grade a good time? I mean, you could really start it at any time, it, it sounds like. But I just was wondering. Yeah, so uh, in my current role as the social emotional learning specialist, I've worked with students K through 12 at this point, and in my role as a teacher and a teacher leader at my former school, I worked with a lot of teachers in my building to implement mindfulness practices as early as kindergarten through fifth grade. I looped third, fourth, and fifth with the class and then continued to teach fifth grade after that. There is no particular age group that's going to benefit from my experience more than another. Everyone's Mm -hmm. going to benefit. I don't know what the research shows. I'm sure there are some sample sets somewhere that shows a certain age group is going to experience more trauma and benefit more from this. But it's really important to develop that practice because you're going to experience exponential growth beyond that. So if you do have a kindergartner that is learning mindfulness, whose first, second, and third grade teachers are also using those practices in their classroom, they're getting closer to mastering that. So they're not going to experience as many of the effects of trauma in fourth and fifth grade living in a 100% Title I school district if they have been practicing that for a long time. I mean, I can imagine, yeah, as soon as you can get the kids to have it be more automatic for them it's and to buy into it, because I can imagine, you know, you get to the fourth, fifth grade, you're getting to the age where it's not cool to do certain things, right? So to get a kid to buy into something that may at first seem uncomfortable because it's different might be harder. So I would assume, yeah, as early as possible to get away from that idea that, well, I'm not going to do it because that's not cool. Whereas by the time they get to that age, if it's already automatic and everyone's doing it, it's probably not as bad. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you were working with all different types of kiddos with different abilities, were you able to, if you had a kiddo with unique needs, were you able to kind of teach that mindfulness because I can hear you know some of our listeners being like okay cool gen ed kids that's where you're teaching it but like what about our kiddos that are separated to me it sounds like I mean we always think all of our kiddos can do anything that any other kiddo can do but I'm asking the obvious question of your experience with some of our special needs kiddos so we know if we are listening to education podcasts, that what's good for one student is good for all students. Mm-hmm. I used to work at a school for autism, and I worked at a school for individuals with diverse abilities and special needs beyond cognitive, physical, and etc. We used mindfulness practices in those settings as well, and they were highly beneficial, especially for our students who need some time to calm down their brains. We all need to calm down our brains. Yeah. Students who are experiencing their diverse abilities and needs alongside the trauma that they're experiencing in their daily lives, depending on where they live or their situation, they need it more than most of us because they need to develop those tools immediately for coping and for self-awareness and for social awareness and to be able to feel some type of reprieve from that constant going in their brain. So. Social emotional learning and mindfulness practices, a lot of the programming around these topics you'll find in the research started in special education and uh, inclusion classrooms. Oh, I believe. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 
They have so many more stressors oftentimes, you know, with this cookie cutter education system that we have and the differential learning techniques are not always there. It is easier for them to have stressors than, you know, their typical peers. And their teachers and their paraprofessionals and the people who, while you're teaching these skills and while you're imparting these wonderful lessons every day, you're absorbing some of that yourself, hopefully, because I know that self-care is such a high area of need. And if I had it my way, I'd be like, a massage therapist for teachers. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, and I always wonder, you know, whenever I'm in an IEP meeting and I'm dealing with a kid who has some social emotional learning built into their IEP, like for example, I have a number of kiddos that use the zones of regulation and it's being used just for them. And I always think like, why are we not using this in the entire class? Like I can imagine the entire second grade class would benefit from this type of program and it would make it easier for the kid with a disability because then they're not alone. Yeah. I think a lot of times, too, just in terms of communication, like I would love to have zones regulation in my office so I could just point <laughs> to something, you know, and trying to undo the way that society has made us is difficult. Yeah. You know, people do not like sharing their feelings, so they lash out. I watch a lot of The Real Housewives, so <laughs> I just see them lash out. And I'm like, why don't you just tell her that that hurt your feelings? Like, that's what's at the core of it, right? But, you know, you're trying to produce you know, better humans. And I think that that just with so many of our kiddos, they do have a hard time expressing themselves. And it's no surprise to us that, you know, it started in those classrooms because like Amanda was saying, those stressors. And and I like how you even said, you know, the vicarious trauma. You know, my mindset is these kids, they experience trauma, you know, these kids. And I, of course, just The administrators, the teachers themselves, they are experiencing that as well. You know, God only knows the types of stories that they hear. And we always say they're our first line of defense, but oftentimes they're so scared to speak up. So that's what I find fascinating is that you're able to kind of train them and to have that mindfulness and not be so kind of in your own kind of space, you start really thinking on a global scale, right? How do we fit in and how are we part of this community and how can we change it as a community? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we think we're alone and, you know, I can't advocate for this kid. So I'm just going to tell this parent to go talk to these attorneys or whatever. But it's like, no, if you and the teachers you know, feel empowered to make that change for your students. We've been seeing a lot of our teachers protest, right? And strike, I mean, to get better wages. And, and it's not just about better wages. No, it's about, about the different the changes. supplies yeah. for the children and things like Resources, that. Resources, mm-hmm. like having counselors Resources, on yep. every campus. Absolutely. I mean, how many times we have kids that have to, like, figure out how to see their counselor because the counselor's only on their specific campus oh God, like one day a week. At two. Yeah, and then it's like <laughs> Wednesday at 2 is their language arts oh time, goodness. and it's like, so now we got to miss that every week just because that's the only time Mm -hmm. it's yeah it is a huge challenge and i'm sure that listeners are sitting here thinking wow yes you get it and i'm not going to be a counselor as well and i don't have time for this and i totally agree and that's why i say self-care is so important as well and your own social emotional learning your own mindfulness practices because when you take a step back we actually do want to be all of those things. And it's so hard because we got into it to be all of those things. But the priority management 
of all of those things is very, very challenging. So how do we do that? And that is why I think it is really, really, really important to develop that as a classroom practice as we're talking about. And you know, when we do see, like you just said, real housewives, <laughs> when we romanticize these behaviors, and when we're also really accustomed to a lot of behaviors, whether it's our parents, our aunts and uncles, or whoever we're living with, who also may not know how to express themselves or right. express anger or frustration. Mm-hmm. It's not like some hippie-dippy, like, liberal Democrat thing to say. <laughs> right, right. feeling blank. But we can't change the culture unless we're a part of the culture. Right. Yeah. So we have to buy into it ourselves. And the only way to buy into it is to just give it a try. Yeah. So this role of a social-emotional specialist, I don't see in very many, if at all, in in many school districts. Given your background, is this something that you kind of helped create this position or was this something that your district was trying to kind of do something different? Had it been around for a while? No, this is a new position. I did not create it though. It was very, I would say it was in the stars. This was my passion and I have had a wonderful, amazing principal, very lucky, who kind of pushed me into this role. I had been looking to get out of the classroom setting. I had done my principal work and I was looking to be um, an assistant principal, but I wanted to work on a larger scale in the district to be able to kind of affect change in social emotional learning. And ironically, I had been on trying to apply for a different job and this job popped up. I applied and now I'm here and it has been a wonderful journey. You are correct. This is not something that a lot of school districts are able to kind of say is like, here is some coaching or here's a specialist Mm -hmm. or here is this. It's fairly new in terms of foundational principles and tying this into climate and culture. It is absolutely a need. And we see that in research. We see that just in our daily work, Mm -hmm. but adopting it is difficult because you think of social emotional learning and it sounds like reading, writing, math, science, social emotional learning, restorative justice. (laughs) It's not supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be an additional topic or additional subject. It's supposed to be, it's like the pot where we're cooking all of these other things. So it's very difficult to kind of make a tangible thing out of social emotional learning. Some people have, there are programs out there. What would you suggest if like someone's listening and they're a parent or they're even a teacher or someone and they realize their school district does not have this type of program, but would like to try to get it implemented in their school district? Do you have any suggestions for how they might be able to go about getting it in their district? Yeah. So there is a CASEL, C-A-S-E-L, is um, kind of like the Council on Social Emotional Learning, and they make a lot of decisions that monopolize that area of education right now and I'm hoping to see a lot of other organizations and I'm sure they are too come through the works and really focus on this topic but essentially what it comes down to and I say this all the time when you're teaching your own children how to be socially and emotionally intelligent and competent throughout their day that is how we want talking to our students and teaching Mm -hmm. our students so there's programming out there where you can take out a lesson and you can take out a book and you can take this out and that's great you can use that But you might see some effects of students thinking that, okay, it's social emotional learning time, or this is just in my morning meeting. Right. Whereas when you're choosing texts in literature block that show problems between characters and responsible decision-making and self-awareness, now you're tying that into your actual teaching. As a parent, when you say, hey, you know what? I made a mistake. This is what I did. What do you think I could have done? You are teaching and imparting the lessons of self-awareness, you're teaching responsible decision-making, you're teaching grit, you're teaching growth mindset. So 
it's not necessarily something that needs to be a separate lesson. Right. It's something that you just have to catch in the moment. And just be aware of the intention behind it. Intentional. That's what I keep saying. And before you can do all that, like we've already said, you have to do your own work. There are a lot of assessment tools out there. If you just like Google social emotional awareness or social emotional learning, self-assessment, you can take these little fun quizzes or use one of the many assessment tools that's out there as parent, teacher, neighbor, whoever, and see where your areas of growth are, see where you need to grow, and then do your work around that. There are a ton of books. I read self-help books every single night. I'm <laughs> always learning about myself and learning to be someone who is socially and emotionally competent. So it's really important that before we can talk to our children about it, we are aware that we have some shortcomings and that we can grow all the time. Absolutely. I think that that's something that people don't think that they need to do or they think they're pretty self-aware and they're not, (laughs) but it's a constant. It's not like you just take a class and you're like, okay, I'm super self-aware, you know, and it's done and it's over. It's constant, right? It's not about the destination. It's the journey and work. That's life, right? Life is the journey. So I I'm going to look up one of those quizzes. I'm going to take one and I'm going to talk about it more. But Jamie, we so appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming to talk about social, emotional learning and awareness and intentionality and how it's beneficial to our kiddos. And we're just so grateful for the work that you're doing and especially out there in Philly, you know, putting this at the forefront. The East Coast, we got to catch up. I feel like you're doing so many things, even with like the reading literacy and stuff like that. Boston's always at the forefront. So we're going to try to play catch up with you and the East Coast, Jamie. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all the work that you're doing. And thank you to everyone who's listening. Just keep doing what you're doing and know that you are appreciated. Oh, thanks, Jamie. All right. We'll talk to you guys all next week. Next week. Bye. Bye.